Welcome again, Four Thoughts of Our Founders. I am Herman Felton, riding down the highway with my man, Greg Dees, up in the building, uh, one of the co-founders, and uh, in absentia, uh, I would like to acknowledge um, Alfred Anthony Pincard, the president of Wilberforce University, and George C. French, Jr., president of Clark Atlanta University, and Melva Christie Williams, I was about to call her maiden name, Turner, of Southern University Shreveport, Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs and Enrollment Management. That That's a rat pack. Uh, but they're not here today, and I'm riding, um, you know, again, down the highway with my man, Greg. And we've got an exciting podcast today. We've got some scholars and some practitioners up in this feast that they just can't contain the excitement that they have to be on the podcast today. I uh, want to welcome uh, two of my teammates, actually, uh, two folks who are in the trenches here uh, at Wiley College. Uh, the first ever, both of them actually hold the distinction of being the first ever in their vocations here at Wiley College. We have a dean of chaplain, uh, Dominique Robinson, the, the Dr. Reverend <laughs> um, uh, Dominique Robinson, and we have uh, the first ever clinical psychologist on our campus, the associate vice president for health and wellness and, um, you know, physical fitness and <laughs> checking people pulse and all that good stuff. She does all that stuff here. Uh, Dr. Ray Lundy. Um, and I'm going to let them introduce uh, themselves. Uh, I do know their credentials, but I don't want to mess it up. It's two of them this time. And so I'm going to let them just tell us a little bit of back a background of who you are, but first of all, welcome to health. Thank you. Yeah, y'all yeah, just looking at each other like, <laughs> what do we say now? Glad what do we to, say? Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. It's an uh, honor. Uh, it's an honor? Yes. We like that. It's an honor to have y'all here. Uh, none, nothing like having good, smart uh, folk uh, to sit and talk about vocation. And today, uh, we're going to talk about something that's really passionate and I think a silent epidemic. Um, and challenges not only just in our space, but all across America. But before we do that, tell me uh, who you are there, Dominique. Greetings, everybody. My name is Dominique Aisha Robinson from Newark, New Jersey. Moved to Marshall, Texas from Atlanta, Georgia. Yes. Um, I have a doctorate of ministry and will be starting my Ph.D. next month. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so you went to Georgetown for undergrad. I went to Georgetown for undergrad. Mm -hmm. Earned my two masters from Emory University and mm -hmm. my doctorate of ministry, which is a practical degree. Which is why people want to ask why are you going to do PhD to get a terminal degree. But my doctorate of ministry is yeah, from but Columbia. It, don't, it doesn't matter what Seminary. they what they think. So yeah, you know no, you yeah yeah you yeah. Help the people. <clears throat> I, you um, do you do. But but Candler. Candler School of Theology is where Candler I got the School master's. School of Theology Columbia. at Emory. Uh -huh. at Columbia Emory. Theological Seminary is where I got the doctorate okay. ministry. Okay, sister is a scholar. Uh, welcome. Thank you. And you also happen to be a part of one of those Greek-lettered organizations. Oh, yes, so, right? I, I am think a, one of the devastating deeds of okay. All right. Dr. Sigma yeah. All right. We love it. We love it. We love it. Dr. Lundy? Hi. Um, so Ray Lundy, um, originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I uh, attended Xavier University in New Orleans, okay. Louisiana. Um, for my undergrad, and then I went on to the University of Notre Dame to receive my master's and PhD in clinical psychology. Dope. And you also happen to be a part of one of those yeah. Greek-lettered organizations as yeah. well, right? We did it first. Oh, oh. shade in the room, Greg Dees. Did it get, just get cold in here? Okay, all right. I'm sorry. Um, welcome. Um, you know, while we are uh, in a great space and laughing uh, and, you know, filling up the room with smiles and great energy, um, what you all deal with on a daily basis is uh, counter to smiles and great energy. And I think it's so important that um, we have a conversation to talk about health and wellness um, on one end and the other end about uh, spirituality and what it means to be responsible for creating the spiritual heartbeat of an institution and and the intersectionality of, of those two things. So um, what is it like to be um, on a campus 
um, where you're really responsible for maintaining the mental health of an institution? Um, I'd say it's an honor. I mean, we keep, we've used that word a couple of times today, but I think it's, it is, um, a responsibility that I don't take lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, I wake up every day and I am cognizant that, um, I may not be aware of what comes to my door that my students or our students may be dealing with an array of things from anxiety, depression, relationship concerns, family issues, sexual assault, um, Homelessness. Mm. Um, Poverty. Yes. Um, All of those things that I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, I served, supported, encouraged, uplifted, provided intervention for someone today in each of those areas. Wow. And so um, I think it is a major responsibility, but I count it a privilege because our students have, um, they come in the door. And that, to me, uh, speaks a lot about the fact that we've been able to create a safe space because people don't open up if they don't feel safe. Um, Before, go ahead, finish that. I was going to say that because there's such a stigma Mm -hmm. associated with mental health, Mm -hmm. um, I have, I think that's one of the things just to give, I guess, our Wiley students a plug. I think that's one of the things that makes them special is that they, they're willing to have the tough conversations. Yeah. And so despite dealing with those array of challenges that I mentioned, they are coming through the doors. That's awesome. Before I throw the same question over to Dominique, um, I want to ask this question. uh, Is the practice limited to students? Um, I know the answer to that question, but a lot of our listeners are not students. So I want to normalize um, who you see, or rather are your patients just students? So... My uh, my patients and my clients are just students um, from a from a um, policy mm-hmm. standpoint, mm-hmm. Um, but I think as is the custom at HBCUs, we're a family, mm-hmm. and so I do have colleagues who um, are in need of support as well. And who I am and who God has called me to be, I walk through life. If I, I believe my colleagues would say anytime I see them, I'm like, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. And and I don't mean it um, in a perfunctory. How are you Wait. doing? Yeah. Um, so to be so clear, to be clear, it is we are serving students, faculty and staff as well. Correct. And administrators. Correct. Come through the door as well. Correct. Yeah. On almost every day. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, bouncing off to you and and uh, for those out there in podcast land, I am probably a little um, less formal. I I believe that you can take none of this stuff to heaven with you. Um, But I want to be very clear that I have respect for those who have uh, earned the ranks to be called doctors and reverends, etc. But I talk to folks by first name basis. So um, I want to be clear, Dr. Lundy is Dr. Lundy, but she'll be known as Ray here. And Dr. Dominique Robinson is is just that, and a reverend. Uh, but I respectfully um, just have dialogue with people on, on the podcast. So I want to be, be very clear about that. So Dominique, uh, how does it feel to be responsible for the spiritual um, life of an institution? Um, it's certainly, we use the word honor. It's a privilege. Uh, I guess in church language, we would say it's a burdensome blessing um, <laughs> because it comes with a weight on Who'd your you shoulders. Who'd you get that from? T.D. Jakes or uh, no, Jamal no, Bryant no, no, or C.L. Oh, Franklin? Nix. There you Probably go. We'll C.L. Go Franklin. Franklin. I was thinking C.L. Franklin. But it's certainly uh, one that you just you can't take lightly. And so I'm very clear that it's an assignment, a God-given assignment. I open my door every day and remember I'm the pastor for the entire campus. I'm, I have to be somebody's God encounter no matter what's happening, what's going on. Um, and so I think one of the challenges that is not just here at Wiley that we're experiencing um, many black millennials have lost faith and have the their religious connection um, has gone to almost zero percent mm-hmm. um, and only 24 percent of millennials today are even connected to a historic black church and so to does that does that oh so an historic black church mm-hmm. um, does that does that count for those who go to bedside Baptist no um, no and so the 24 percent are those who are actually getting up out of the bed and okay. going to and the historic black churches are the main lane line products Protestant churches, AME Zion, AME Baptist, um, 
Presbyterian, although it's not a traditional black denomination for mm-hmm. those who are going. Um, and to be you better to say Kojic. We got some people who Kojic. Church of God too. in Christ, yeah. for those who don't know what that means. Yeah. You know, we are the church. CME. Yeah, CME. Oh, right. I'm sorry. A little CME. bit of United Methodist. Well, yes. That's yeah. the mainline Protestant yeah. churches. Yes. yes and so 24% of black millennials are still getting up and going to churches. Um, but that's decreasing by age. And that 24% are mostly millennials who are in their late 20s Mm. and so when you're saying you're responsible for the spirituality or the theological education of millennials who are still college age you're actually asking them to do something that they don't have a familiarity with Mm. they don't have that connection this is not the generation that was raised by their grandparents this Mm -hmm. is a generation that had no connection to the traditional church yeah yeah so you know knowing that you do have a background of scholarship uh and um um you are a learned learned theologian that's um, without question. Um, coming onto a college campus, um, and I know you were at Morehouse. You, you did some time at Morehouse, some was it? Some work at Morehouse and Spelman. A little, mm-hmm. a little work at Morehouse and Spelman. Um, but being here at Wiley um, and knowing that um, God is everything to us on this campus, and that's one of the really dope things about being able to be on a private HBCU uh, campus, um, being able to talk about that. Can you can you just talk a, a little bit about what um, that feeling of one? We've talked about being responsible for the spirituality of the campus, but how do you make that work? What does that look like? Uh, for me, it looks like intentionality. So, uh, you know, intentionality from every level, from administrators, faculty, staff, students, being very clear that we're making our faith a priority and that there's balance um, coming from that core. Um, and so. For example, when we're talking about our chapel experiences, being able to say that in any moment when you walk into chapel, you should be able to walk away knowing what the theme or the focus was from the liturgy to the song, to the sermon, to the prayer. Um, And so being intentional about that and being okay with saying that you do believe in God and this matters to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually one of the blessings and the dopest component of being here at Wiley is that we can have an overlap of wellness from the mental health component as well as the faith component and break that stigma that there's a dichotomy between seeing a therapist and and talking to Jesus. So is there still a stigma with mental health and and even spirituality looking for counseling? Absolutely. Oh, wow. They said that in unison. (laughs) (laughs) Sounded like the double mint twins. (laughs) I'm sorry I'm telling my age. But but yeah. I would say the the first week that Dr. Robinson was here, um, we both encountered several students who came and explicitly said they didn't know who to ch- who to choose. <laughs> they, Those were their which words. one? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and um, in our own way, using our own language, uh, both Dr. Robinson or Dominique and I said, "You don't have to choose." Mm. Um, they complement one another. Could you notice, um, you know, a relief or a release uh, on their faces mm-hmm. when, when just relieving them of that duty? Absolutely. And then <laughs> probably challenging them when they leave one of our offices saying, did you see the other person? So mm-hmm. when they leave my office, make sure you go see Dr. Lundy, make your appointment. <laughs> so this, we're talking about some wraparound services. Oh, Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but, but back to the stigma, we are still... On this campus, you know, for those who are not familiar with Wiley, our campus is 99% African-American, 1% other. And so this would be a small sampling of, uh, you know, a microcosm of America. Mm -hmm. So would it then still be safe, even in your own research, to say that black folks or people of color are still stigmatized by going to see counselors, Mm -hmm. um, both be it religion or um, Mm -hmm. mental health? Absolutely, yeah. I think there's a mistrust that, um, I can just speak for my profession, um, that is in some ways warranted. Um, My profession is founded on um, researchers that, that, researchers and practitioners that look nothing like us. most often those who developed the field of psychology were white males and many times the research related to what would help um, individuals get better 
was culturally biased. And so the recommendations made from my profession were sometimes things that did not help us heal, that were not affirming, that were not life-giving. And so um, the mistrust that's there, I often, you know, I am of the mindset that I don't um, dismiss someone's inability to trust me initially because I think it's warranted in some ways but what I try to do again is create safe space um, to try to create a different narrative and so I think I come in recognizing that okay this might be um, the the stereotype the narrative but there's an opportunity to change and then there's an opportunity to educate and you talked about there being a sense of relief Honestly, I don't think people, rightfully so, believed me. Those students, they heard us say that they didn't have to choose, but I think they were still a little skeptical. And so it wasn't until they have actually um, seen Dr. Robinson and I collaborate and work closely together and provide support and wraparound services that they really were able to to understand at a deeper level. Yeah, Yeah. and I think that what we are discovering is people have an inherited faith. Uh, tradition Mm -hmm. you're practicing this faith based off of what you've been taught and I don't think what you've seen what you've seen Mm -hmm. so you've inherited this but nobody's actually taught you to think through this faith and once they start to think through what is it that I believe why do I believe it am I okay with the dissonance part of that is understanding that your faith is actually a coping mechanism for whatever is happening with you from a mental health perspective Mm -hmm. and so once we give them the language to understand Mm -hmm. that it's complimentary Mm -hmm. and so even we've had bible studies where we were let's look at what mental health looked like in the Bible. Mm. I gave them, we talked about David. David is a prime example of a man who wrestled with depressive episodes. Yes, he went up and down. You read all through the mm-hmm. Psalter brothers going through some things. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah is crying mm-hmm. and Elijah, you know, Jesus isn't in, is in the garden of Gethsemane mm-hmm. saying, I don't need to do this, Lord, will you take this Why? cup? And yeah. so to be able to have that dialogue, I had the Bible study. Dr. Lundy was there. We were able to identify clinical terms, mm-hmm. talk about maybe what did, what did this look like in the Bible? How does now this now look like for us today? Mm-hmm. And so I think that the intentionality, again, that's happening here at Wiley Campus is allowing us to be able to give people tools to be healthy when they leave. I'm, you know, I've, I've really, when I sit back and, and just thinking about this conversation, this magic sauce that's happening right now, um, I'm really grateful for one, finding um, experts uh, in both those spaces and being able to say what matters to me as a president here is a spiritual climate and one that is not lip service about mental health and wellness. I'm really happy that those um, those things get to collide and that our students know that those things are really important. Um, and, and I'm just really happy that we have people who are really passionate about their vocation. Um, let's talk about the, the grown people, if you will. <laughs> Um, we know that our students um, come with challenges, and we'll put a we'll put a bow on the students. And let's let's just talk about we have nine hundred students, or you know, last year we were just a little over a thousand. How many hours did you have? Uh, contact hours did you have, Dr. Lundy, with with students? So I had close to and this is an underestimate but it was it was right around a thousand contact hours and that's just individual therapy not including group counseling outreach hours not including um you know 10 20 minute consultations not including any of the faculty staff administrator being pulled over during lunch Mm -hmm. walking across the campus so a thousand so essentially touching every uh, the opportunity to touch pretty much every person on campus so when you think about what we're we're tasked with doing we're tasked with at the very basic level educating people and that says to me that because because in that number there are faculty and staff members in that space too right well that that number did not include the faculty and staff. oh so it would escalate even even further yeah I, I think w- what I'm getting at is that if you're listening to this and you have the capacity to make sure that mental health and wellness um, is a priority at your campus and you're not doing it 
um, shame on you, period. If you are not paying attention to what is going on in America, and particularly those who are coming to our campus and those who are servicing uh, those at our campus, shame on you. Uh, we are asking um, people, hurt people, to help hurt people. Mm -hmm. And if we don't really recognize that we have some hurt people that are trying to help hurt people, um, we're gonna damage, do more damage likely, I think. Um, so I just I, I just wanted to get on that soapbox and just, just say to those who have the agency to make a difference, if you're not doing it, you know, please do that. Um, our students deserve it. Our teammates deserve it. Uh, our campuses deserve to be healthy and whole. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about, uh, you know, the adults in the room. Like, what are what are the challenges that we're we're dealing with, both from a spiritual space and and a mental health space? What are what are some of the ch challenges that that you guys encounter? I often experience. Um the challenge that faculty, staff, and administrators uh, underestimate the value of or the significance of a mental health concern. Um, often mental health concerns, if I can just keep it real, students have at times used mental health as an excuse to say I can't do my work, right? So I was depressed, I couldn't come to class. And unfortunately, if students have used that as a reason or rationale, then then those instances where there is legitimate mental health concern then become less um, of a valid re so reason. And so faculty or staff, um, they, they're almost at times feel, it seems as though they, they're not jaded, but they have a sense of distrust for the student and their claim. And so I think we're combating this idea that no mental health concerns can be legitimate. Um, how then do we differentiate between a student's uh, legitimate expression of distress and a student's lack of maybe um, readiness or preparedness for, for class. Mm -hmm. I think also uh, faculty and staff are dealing with their own unmanaged mental health concerns that mm -hmm. they've not, mm -hmm. that they have not resolved. And, uh, and then they not only bring their inability to resolve those concerns into the classroom, but they bring uh, the symptoms associated with that. So uh, explicitly, I would say if someone has unresolved uh, major depression and that comes with irritable mood and you're not dealing with your irritable mood, then your response to your students or your your difficulty responding to your students plays out in the classroom. Um, and then that imp impacts ability to communicate. So I think the lack of... Um, awareness about their own needs as faculty and staff and the ability to to take some agency and say it's okay to not be okay. I think faculty are dealing with all sorts of things, but those two in particular, I think, are the ones that stand out immediately because each week I consult with faculty who are saying, Dr. Lundy, I don't know if what they're telling me is real. I don't know if they're really dealing with the issue. Mm -hmm. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we've done here at Wiley College is that all faculty are um, provided the opportunity to go through what's called mental health first aid. And it's an eight hour certification that provides the background on the most common mental health concerns. Um, it helps faculty and staff be able to recognize what those mental health issues look like and how to help a student in distress mm -hmm. so that then the faculty and staff feel more equipped and prepared to respond to a student in distress and they recognize what the symptoms um, look like. Gotcha. I think from the spiritual perspective, so to speak, which is a larger umbrella, I think the adults wrestle with religious experience and expression and theological education. 
Mm. Um, and I think that because that's what they're wrestling with, it's it, there's a difficulty with, uh, they create a strong line between sacred and secular, mm. where the younger generation doesn't. It's a fluidity. Um, and they can experience God at a Beyonce concert just as much as they can experience God at somebody's gospel concert. In, what, in the calf. Right, exactly. And so I think that uh, what I have found, and not just at Wiley, with just, you know, adult generation, again, an inherited faith. This is the way we used to do it. This is the way this usually happens. This is what God looked like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, being unable to accept the God image or lack thereof of mm-hmm. the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And that for me is the tension I see in the atmosphere in chapel. Yeah. It's it's not necessarily, are we praying to the same God? Right. It's, I feel like the prayer should sound this way. You should address God this way. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean that in a, in a lot of ways, um, what we bring to events mm-hmm. um, really have, consequences and what I mean by that is is our own experiences we bring and project into spaces Mm -hmm. and it creates uh, funk Mm -hmm. if you will Um, and I think what I heard a lot from students right like I'm not a pastor I'm not you know anything I love Jesus um, and um, I think I can recognize when you need to get out of the way of the spirit Mm -hmm. right and so there are times when I um, have in chapel said leave the rest of the program alone leave if you want to stay and worship in this this space uh, for as long as you want and I've had emails from individuals to say that's not how we do it here um, or that's not how it's supposed to be done well there's you know 400 people mm-hmm. <laughs> still in chapel when everybody else is over at the calf mm-hmm. worshiping so I, I think uh, to your point about this, the dichotomy um, and the generational dichotomy mm-hmm. um, is, is a challenge. Like, how do, you, how do you manage that? How do you move through that? I can admit I've been blessed. My grandmother raised me, so I find myself to be a bridge. I did grow up in traditional holiness tradition. I understand the process, theology of God, how people, you know, you got to stir the pot. It's a crock pot kind of God. And mm-hmm. then you got the young generation who's beyond, you know, a microwave generation type God. We want to click it, move it type God, right? Yeah. And so I think that I've been blessed to be able to have the language of my grandmother's generation, but have the culture and experience of uh, current millennials. Um, and so uh, in, in my doctorate work doing ethnographic research, being able to ask millennials what is it that you need to see or experience? What's ethnographic research for those who may not know? Ethnographic research is actually studying a particular uh, culture or society and Mm -hmm. engulfing yourself in it. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm blessed in the fact that I was identifying as a millennial and a black preacher, so I was able to be a part of both cultures when I was doing the research to be able to ask the questions. Mm -hmm. And so part of that was asking young people, what do you need to see or hear in a church experience to feel like God has shown up or you've heard from God? And to be able to hear the fact that they they are basically asking for the very thing that we read in the Bible. They want, I'm calling, my term is called iHomiletic. They want social media linguistics used in the church setting to be able to identify with that God. And for me, all that means is they want parables. Jesus used the language of the day to articulate. <laughs> they the, want bars. Right, that's exactly right. And so uh, it's a matter of sometimes reminding. What I try to do is remind generations that the message has remained the same. The method and the ways that we convey it have changed, and you need to be able to respect that the message is still the same you listen to the shy lights and the whisper that's right that's cool they out here with rihanna and whoever else right right but you you were just as uh sultry back in your day as you feel like the students are today and so it's a matter of making sure i think you talked about it earlier about educating people and dr lenny and i talk about this often uh is your role to transform people you can't just go right to transformation so you start with exposure which sometimes is difficult Mm. just exposing people is enough to educate them and then when they're willing to feel safe to have the conversation there's layers to this stuff man layers Layers. have the conversation um and so one of the things that i know we're looking to do uh, one of the things that i've also found with the older generation is a fear to have a conversation about things they don't know because they were not taught to ask questions. Yeah, and and in a lot of ways, you know, we're married to what we learn. Yeah, and 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 void of any notion of there being another way right. or something else. Right, right, just void of of even the notion of having that conversation. That it might be a little different. Yeah, so we're we. Uh, uh, 
we all have to push a couple envelopes because this is where the young people are. This is where we're here to serve the student body. And so mm-hmm. they have questions. What is, what should my faith say to my sexuality and or homosexuality? What happens when we're talking about Judaism and Islam, Islam and Christianity and we're all Abrahamic family? What does all that mean? And I think that part of my role here is for the exposure, the conversation. As I say often, my pedagogy isn't to give you an answer. My, my, my role is to give you tools to think through it and for you to come to your own conviction and wow. stand firm on that. So I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong. Here's heaven or hell. What I'm saying is, your faith is contextual so what tools I'm helping you build your toolkit so what tools will I help you develop so that you can one day process for yourself where you are on this yeah you know another thing that um, is probably not um, as popular and probably um, folks aren't as vocal um, is around homosexuality and I'm so grateful that excuse me I get to be I get to say that we have a campus that all are welcomed um, and mean it. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to be the person who's responsible for creating a safe space for all of our students. Um, and in the early 2000s or the late 2000s, while I was at Livingstone, we saw a little bit of um, freedom and students who identified um, as bi, Um, or binary or homosexual, whatever, there was this almost a little slight resistance um, and not the comfort. Um, And then leaving there and going to Wilberforce, I was in charge, so I got to say what I wanted to say, which was everybody's welcomed here. Uh, And being here, are we challenged with students who are having um, issues and is our is our campus a safe campus uh, from your from your perspectives? That's a heavy question. It is, and I, I'm I'm bold enough to hear for the first time what your thoughts are. So because each, I want to know if we we have more work to do. So the the initial answer is we have more work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an acute awareness that our students have that we are a faith-based institution first. And so some of those embedded um, understandings of what the Bible says about homosexuality are at the forefront of our students' minds. And um, they- Is that because my message hasn't resonated with the faculty and staff who are primarily making it a culture that's not comfortable for the students? I think it's a combination of things. Mm-hmm. I, I think, yes, there are um, certain faculty and or staff who express their uh, opinions about, and I put this in quotes, um, a certain lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And um, that often um, causes students to feel afraid to outwardly express who they are uh, in the classroom and so we've been intentional and thank you for allowing us to create spaces so each week there's a support group for students um, who identify as LGBTQIA plus Um, IA plus correct Um, what is the IA and plus um, intersex asex and the plus is for the other um the other terms of nomenclature mm-hmm, okay. of categorization. Cool. Um, yes, and so we we are actively working. We uh, we've also um, started a, a group, a small group of uh, faculty and staff who are committed to the to creating a culture of safety here on campus that's, as well. And so we meet um, every other Thursday, and uh, we discuss. Uh, what changes in terms of policy, um, changes in the classroom, changes in terms of um, student development, training. Um, and so we have, we're developing a pretty um, comprehensive strategic yeah. plan to present to um, stakeholders, administrators, mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, to, to, to demonstrate that um, the students are here that there's a need that the, the, the goal isn't to convince people that 
being LGBT. One is right or that wrong. That one is right, is wrong, yeah. right or wrong. Yeah. We talk often in those meetings that the goal is um, understanding. Understanding. And move past tolerance to, tolerance to hospitality. To love. Love. Yeah, love was what it, yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. I was going to say love. Yeah. And, and because when you love someone, you may or may not agree or, right. or, or like love if we use from a it covers a multitude of things but come on scripture i i um i think that to your original question of is there work to be done oftentimes the students and the faculty and staff here who identify within the community don't always feel the love Mm -hmm. and um safe and safe enough to be their authentic selves mm-hmm. um, it, it can still be hostile towards mm-hmm. uh, them um, mm-hmm. so yes there's certainly work to do mm-hmm. um, what has hurt me grieved me most is that people have used faith to terrorize them mm-hmm. um, and it, it just boggles my mind particularly not that it's the same agenda but to see people of color who have been othered because of the color of their skin to yeah. then take on the oppressive mindset and activity and language to hurt someone um, and, it, and, and at the end of the day none of us can say we are not connected to someone who right. is same gender loving that we Absolutely. love and then, then turn around because um, that whole you know hate to sin love the person that ain't real that's yeah. not true that's not scripture either yeah. saints if you're listening that's not in the bible yeah. um, and so um, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation <laughs> yeah. it is a whole other conversation yeah, yeah. and so it's so, a, yeah. so let me ask you this question though so I remember this instance and, and, and what I'm getting to is is how do we equip them with recognizing um, those students who are having those challenges, both spiritually, um, from a feminist uh, standpoint, from um, you know a identifying as others standpoint? How do you get them to recognize what is, is, and when they're not hypersensitive? I'll give you a great example. Um, we had an in- incident on campus and uh, involving sexual assault. And I was saying to uh, our students uh, in closing and imparting um, that I want I want them all to be safe. Um, and you know our campus uh, in some areas is not well lit, and that um, there's empirical data to suggest that if you're in groups, um, the chances of being sexually assault, assaulted significantly decreases. And um, and a, a young lady took offense to that, and, and she thought that I was now victimizing or blaming a student or a woman for being um, assaulted. No, nowhere near that, right? And I was very careful to parse words to make sure that it didn't come off, but it did. And so my my question is is how do we get um, those students who already are hypersensitive, right, to their plights um, and how people project onto them and how they see them, how do we get them to recognize when uh, it is what it is and when it ain't when it ain't? How do you do do that? Because you, you, you know, you get in a situation where sometimes the wolf, you know, that situation, if we use that all the time it diminishes um you know the the plight um and just being very careful about helping them identify when they have challenges before them well i think as institution as an institution of um higher education i think that's where we start with education right so we define terms so what is victim blaming um what is um what is sexual assault what is domestic violence what it, to, to go to the example that you provided as it relates to the lgbtq community even if we think about the lgbt like all of the nomenclature right there's a lot of i mean that that alone i don't mean to cut you off but that's scary Right, not knowing the nomenclature mm-hmm. and how you can literally offend mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. by just not mm-hmm. knowing the nomenclature. Like that, that's scary. And where does grace come f- mm-hmm. for those that don't know the nomenclature? Um, you know, because there were harsh words when I grew up to identify folks. 
and then, you know, those are weaponized now. But I think a lot of times people don't know what mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. And then they're pulverized for, for not knowing what mm-hmm. to say. So how education, I guess. Education is but, So it's a part of it. But I think Cree, so I've used the word creating safe space. I guess within the literature, they also talk about creating brave space. Mm-hmm. So the difference between safe space and brave space is safe is you're trying to make sure that you don't offend. Brave is you acknowledge that this is a difficult conversation. At times, I may step on your toes. Man, and that's you might that's step new on to me. I've yes. never heard safe versus brave, brave space. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think- like it, but... And you can see the difference, right? The difference between those two are are night and day, but I never even heard Mm -hmm. of. But that requires a vulnerability that people have to be willing to get to, Mm. whether no matter how you identify, to be able to say, I don't know the language, Mm -hmm. and to be able to say this conversation is difficult. So I'm, I'm a president, right? And I love every person on my campus. How do I acknowledge that I don't know the language um, I don't know how to, um, um, yeah, I don't know the language. How do, how do I do that um, in a way that it appears that it comes from a place of love? And how, how do you help me to, to understand those things? So I think you, you do some of what you just did. You actually explicitly say there are, there are some things I don't know. Um, and if I have offended, then... I apologize or I acknowledge that. Um, I think also, though, so I'll give you a small thing that some institutions, I have not seen it here. We don't do I did it at another institution. But so you look at your email signatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the email signatures. Them, they. Yes, your preferred pronouns. Yeah. So I think that may not be what we do here at Wiley. But um Intentional behaviors like that demonstrate that at least we can start a conversation because even just by sending an email, if you see that my preferred pronouns are she, her, hers, then when you respond back, then you feel if you are within the community, you feel a little bit more comfortable. And then if I then if I um, misgender you, so misgendering, meaning that if I have a student who is masculine presenting and I refer to um, that student as he. Um, and they, their preferred pronouns are she, her, hers. If I do that and they've seen my email, then they know um, at least that this person is aware of that there are, that misgendering is a thing and that there may be that grace that's ex- extended. I think what we have to do is to start doing those intentional things that say this is a place where we can have conversation. This is a place where we can be create brave spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Robinson alluded to earlier that we're going to um, start a series of conversations called Healing Conversations uh, where we will talk about um, some of the critical issues that have come up today, including um, language and training and same gender uh, diversity and things. But I do think as we were talking about higher education, we we need to start with the leadership. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a matter of us becoming aware and becoming educated. Um, and I think that you've already t- t- took a step. So when you said, how do I do this? You create a team that has your back to say, hey, doc, this is the language you need to use. And, you know, hey, doc, this is what just came up. Um, in a seminary that I used to work at, there were these small desk things that we had that were rainbows where students would know where the safe space was in the, mm. in the building. Yes. And so it was something really small that they knew to look for it if, mm-hmm. so they knew that they could have those type of conversations. Um, but yeah, I, why don't we purchase some of those? Because we need training. So first. you have to have training. Okay. You can't. So it's, it's, it's there's Look, I'm, a, I'm ready to get to it. Like, <laughs> so you it's know, called, oh, I so want my students to Many times safe. it's called ally. You know, you, Hell with that. Allies are safe, safe zones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but there's a... There's a and I'm brave. And you're brave, yes. right? But this, with safe zone training, you go through the nomenclature. Okay. You go through the what we call the coming out process. Yes. Um, you go through like the history. So you get the basic um, information that you anyone would need to start some dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then once you've gone through that training, uh, you there's a, a sticker or a placard that you place outside of your door or somewhere visible in your office so that any student walking in knows. Yeah, I think that and would the, be really... Um, I mean that there's obviously some some challenges mm-hmm. uh, for that, but I, I I want to be as inclusive mm-hmm. and as brave as possible. So on I this think campus. the thing that also has to happen is from leadership, from the head heads, to be able to say, 
uh, even after all this training, you still might have personal convictions, but here in this place, this is what is expected. Right. So, so I think. Yeah, the nuance is is the problem here, mm -hmm. right? I think people have um, the, you know, people feel like what they feel is it, and they forget that for you know eight hours of the day. Right. Nine, if you get a free lunch. Um, uh, <laughs> Eleven, you, if you're Dr. Lynn. Yeah, <laughs> 15, if you, you know, <laughs> sit in this chair. <laughs> that the ethos of the institution uh, reigns supreme, mm -hmm. period. Um, so to that question, as we begin to wrap up here, are those students, the LGBTQ IA plus, are they um, a large, are they in heavy rotation and in your spaces for counseling? Yes. yes. As they look at each other simultaneously and <laughs> shake their heads, yes. Well, but um, I think my hesitation is that oftentimes those, I guess I was in this moment trying to protect those students. That's what, that's I was, what it was. We looked at each other like, do should we, we answer say? that question? Because Yeah, those, no, no I, I think, let me tell you why, because the people that are listening, mm -hmm. like this is really about making sure that everybody understands that these are conversations that we need to have. And if they can't recognize at a small institution like this that your contact hours are massive on this campus and they're at larger institutions and that populace is not being served, then they, 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 need, they, they need to do some work. And they should be aware, again, we've talked about this with our group, the fact it's not even just a student matter issue. We have faculty and staff who don't feel safe Absolutely. to identify and articulate. And then um, to remain relevant with your education, your curriculum, your development, being clear about the when you say diversity in your syllabus mm -hmm. and in your reading material, and the, mm -hmm. to be able to include that in everything, every component of who you are as an instructor, what that means and looks like. And so it, the, the, the idea of inclusivity has to happen on every single level. You know, that... that that you just this illustrates that point very clearly that it is not enough for me to say it as a president or any president to say that this is a safe campus and that all are welcomed that's just the beginning mm -hmm. and this conversation illustrates that um even clear i mean it's more clear to me now and and i'm you know i'm naive and thinking that okay I've I've made this edict from on high that we are a space that is inclusive of everybody. And I did not factor in the personal uh, nuance of, of religion and beliefs and societal norms. And in, in a lot of ways, our faculty and staff are baby boomers. Hmm. Um, and just the other day, James Clyburn, which a lot of people are ignoring and saying that he was wrong, but he was suggesting that a lot of people are going to have a problem with Mayor Pete Buttigieg, um, the, the baby boomers, because they just don't get down with, um, you know, the, a homosexual man. Um, is that right or wrong? I don't know, but that's what James Clyburn said. Uh, in South Carolina, and the data says that only 3% of black folk w are willing to support him. So there's got to be some sauce in there. But James Clyburn was eviscerated for even saying that. Is that because he aired dirty laundry or because he's telling, like, why Why was he eviscerated for stating facts, <laughs> you know? Um, but if you look at on our campuses, uh, this one in particular, it's probably where that resistance is coming from is probably those baby boomers. Sorry if that's a broad brush, but it's, you know, it's facts, right? There's data to support it. There is data to support it. I, one of the things that uh, I think is underlying what you were just mentioning, though, is internalized homophobia. Mm. So mm. we unconsciously, in a similar, if you make the parallel between internalized racism, so oftentimes we are unaware of the things that we do that perpetuate um, homophobia or racism. And I think that um, the work is to start uncovering those pieces that um, are perpetuating this culture of oppression. And so I think um, starting with leadership, as mm -hmm. we mentioned, engaging in these healing conversations, doing the training, creating safe zones, 
think it's all of it. Yeah, we're giving alternative um, understandings of the text, the scripture that people scriptures that people use to be able to now that's shaking foundation, but to be able to say let's pause for a moment. <laughs> I was and, about to say, man. <laughs> um, I mean, but you know, you know, it's prophetic work. No, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm just <laughs> yeah. talking about the resistance. The resistance, you know, because yeah, the, resi- be the resistance to, is is real, man. It is to be able to say let's pause for a moment and let's. Who, what, when were these texts written? Who were they written for? In the Greco-Roman culture, mm. what was considered homosexual? What, what, what was an apprentice? You know, yeah. what does that mean? To be able to, to interrogate the text is against our culture anyway. But we're here at a higher education institution. This is where we're supposed to be able to do that. I, and so, yeah, I always say about change, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know probably corny, but if you know the government rate for mileage changes every two or three years uh some other things should change right absolutely, absolutely. right like you know if a cost of living allowance moves up like why should policy not change why should thought not evolve absolutely why should we as humans uh not move into a different space or lack um the the, the capacity to see things from a different perspective and not be so myopic all the time like yeah. we're thinking about a possibly a campus-wide read of a mm. book called perfect peace Ooh, um that uh wrestles with the questions mm. of uh here for it. wrestles with the questions of what so is it good. culture uh nurture versus nature yeah um the church gender expression gender expression the church's role um it's written by a uh, professor uh, daniel black a professor at uh, clark atlanta university oh, yeah. um and so it, it people have a they they can accept change or conversation when they're talking about somebody else. Mm-hmm. As I think the book mm-hmm. would allow us to it talk about the bring that up my street conversation. Yeah, yeah. We ain't and talking so, about me now. We talking, talking about, about yeah. yes. And so I think it could be helpful <laughs> uh, with training and exposure yeah. and education and transformation, which is where we're trying to get to. Yeah. What do y'all want to say to people? What do y'all want to say to people from from the perch of your vocation in this HBCU space? First, let me ask you: How do you feel about laboring in this vineyard Mm, i would say it's heavy work it's hard work it's uh i'm tired often (laughs) and then i wake up and i wouldn't be doing anything else um i absolutely love um being able to provide support to someone who came in my office in tears and thought that there was no hope a lot of times it's just about instilling hope and then we can help with the coping strategies and the interventions and all of the psycho jargon that <laughs> I talk about. Yeah. But I think essentially um, to be a people, particularly for people of color, particularly for black people, we've, we are such a resilient people to use that term. But oftentimes that resiliency has meant we put on this cape that says, I, I have to hide my feelings. I can't um, let anyone know that I'm not okay. And for me, it's a life mission to be, to give people permission to take care of themselves. Yeah. And so I think, um, I just, I'm really passionate about tearing down those laws that, and helping people to know that it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, Doc? What, 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 how does it feel to labor in this vineyard it's amazing um i know it's a god-ordained assignment and uh here's the real truth of the matter for all those church people to listen i couldn't do what i'm doing here in your church Mm. i could not do uh pushing the envelope on theological perspectives who is jesus let's think this through this can't not happen in a traditional church setting Mm -hmm. and so i feel great about being able to um be a scholar accepted as a scholar be a practitioner be able to preach lay hands speak in tongues and be able to say okay but let's think this through again Mm -hmm. that can't always happen in my traditional church setting and so i think that this is a space that god has ordained for me to grow as well um but for me to be able to uh, help change a generation's perspective of who jesus is and how great our god is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. any closing shots should i tell my funny stories about both of you Oh, um, no. no, I have to. Like, no. it, it's implicit in it is a message <laughs> about not being an asshole, right? Oh, okay. Well, I'm curious about what story what's you want to Well, they're, they're not stories. It's just about how we met, like how, how, how both of you landed here at okay. Wiley. Um, Ray Lundy, um, she was um, coming to health um, at Kentucky State. What cohort was that? Um, greater. Ada. Uh, 
I think it's just Ada, right? <laughs> Great no, it's Greater. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, okay. Wow. Greater Ada. Yes. Um, but I remember um, I, I call every fellow and welcome them into uh, the family. And um, there was a follow-up call, and you might not remember this, and you were talking about your challenges of being an introvert. Mm. And I was just telling you, like, we all are. I am too. Like, I really am. And and um, and so Ray came, and there was like three or four presidents who are committed to uh, mental health and wellness. And all of us were vying for, <laughs> for Ray. And I think she had like two or three offers um, by the time she left health. Um, and we were very fortunate, but, um, that, so I met Ray at health and I'm really happy. A lot of the folks who, um, are laboring in the vineyard with me, I met through health. So I don't just talk about health. I believe in health and there are some extraordinary people that come through health. Health is the reason why you're here as well, Dominique, because, um, president Lester McCorn at Clinton college, um, sent me a text. And um, he said, and I quote, Doc, I got the perfect person for you. Close your search. <laughs> I mean, I still have the text message. And I said, who? He sent me your information, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if when I called your contacts and your contacts and because the, the art of triangulation is what we do in HBCU space because every position matters. You can't afford to invest time um, and energy in a hire. And then, you know, six months later, they're gone. Um, checking folks and their background and checking people who know the people who know you is really important. And so my message to those who are listening is to curate your space and be kind to people. You never know who is going to help you where that next opportunity will come from. And if you're fortunate, like uh, a lot of us, um, you'll never have to apply for a job. You will be sponsored into a space, but sponsorship doesn't happen if you have a track record of being less than kind. I, I really believe that. So I just wanted to make that nexus between um, your space where you're at now and how you got here. Um, and as has been the case with everybody on, on the last several uh, podcasts, really. Um, but before we go, uh, any parting shots? Be well. Be well. <laughs> um, it's okay to take care of yourself. Uh, yeah. Say that one more time in the back room for all the administrators. <laughs> and shout out to all the administrators, real talk, who go home with the problems of their students and the problems of their colleagues on themselves. Like it, it is a thankless job uh, to work at this space because you don't just get to do what you have put hours into doing. Yeah, You gotta prioritize your mental health. If you're not okay, you can't be okay for other people. Mm. So, Well, I gotta ask you this question before we go. <laughs> Which one of them sandwiches? <laughs> Is it the uh, Popeye's sandwich or is it the uh, Chick-fil-A? So, you know, we're scholars and we're going to I'm over here analyzing things. OK, so this voice you hear is Ray Lundy. <laughs> so uh, go ahead. Uh, so I think we just talked about the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. so Chick-fil-A and the LGBTQ community. <laughs> Oh, some, okay. Some politically charged. So, so part of me wants to say no, 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 no. So let me let let's clean this up, ma'am. Mm -hmm. Let's deal with the sandwich <laughs> and the sandwich only, not the sandwich makers. Let's the just sandwich. deal with the sandwich. Uh, I I think I still like Chick Fil A. I know it's killing sure. you to say that. It it's does, killing because, it because you're gonna try to take my black card. And no, 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 not at all, not at all. <laughs> So I, I and like you it. said that very proper. You're going to Chick-fil-A. Okay. Chick you were Chick-fil-A. I am. Dominique? Y'all, I'm from up north. I still eat the Wendy sandwich. Number seven, <laughs> so spicy chicken sandwich. You're not even going to answer I'm not even. I'm not even you're Popeyes not even or Chick-fil-A. Wendy's wow. is doing it. Wow. That's your answer. <laughs> That's, That's it. Answer. Newark is in the Newark. Middle. Brick City is here. <laughs> 
Brick City is in the building. Want to thank the the AT alien up in this piece. Um, wow, I think this was really a dope conversation. One that we we have to come back and and talk tease out a little more. Um, you know, just giving people ways uh, to cope with the issues that they're dealing with. Um, so I, I want you guys to come back and um, and to talk about, um, you know, just tools that we can give people um, on the way out the door. So it's definitely a fun time. I appreciate you all responding to a text. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is magic, right? This wasn't rehearsed for all the folk out there. I just sent the text and was like, yo, we're going on a podcast. In fact, I, I tell you a secret. I actually... Um, yeah, I did a story. What do they call it on Insta Instagram? Yeah, Insta story. Um, and talked about the topic before either of you knew about it. So <clears throat> shout out to y'all. Kudos. Yeah, that, that's right. Coming in a Honda. Heathens. As usual, man, we, um, this space is very sacred to us and the work that we do here and the people who do the work. Uh, are very sacred and uh, I'm grateful for you on behalf of the other founders uh, we appreciate y'all coming through and um, and giving some context to some uh, some 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 really tough p- places um, and I uh, want to thank you all for listening to four thoughts of our founders again I'm Herman Felton riding uh, shotgun with my man Greg Dees and uh, on behalf of the Greg, Melva, Herman, George, uh, and all of the fellows who have come through the Higher Education Leadership Foundation, we we, we wish you well, um, challenge you to be great, and um, wish you love. Peace. Peace.